Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by listeners and by Lee Auto Malls. Introducing Lee Plus, a pre-owned vehicle maintenance program. Learn more at leeauto.com. Welcome to our latest edition of Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Erwin Gratz, along with State House Bureau Chief Steve Missler and political reporter Kevin Miller. The U.S. has had a fraught relationship with the Native American tribes who inhabited this land before European settlement. But Maine state government's relationship to this state's tribes has been complicated by terms of a settlement agreement that resolved an Indian land claim some 40 years ago. It limited tribal sovereignty, something the Wabanaki have been trying to win back. Kevin Miller, what's the latest on this front? So there are actually two developments, I think, that are worth noting. The first is that next Thursday, all five tribal chiefs in Maine are scheduled to deliver a joint address to the full legislature. This hasn't happened to the state house in, in about 20 years, and I'd say this is another uh, very clear sign of some of the healing that's occurred uh, to the state and tribal relationship that was pretty much in tatters not that long ago. Now, that push to completely overhaul that 1980 agreement, that's still ongoing. But it was just eight years ago that the Passamaquoddy and the Penobscot tribes actually withdrew their representatives from the legislature because relations had just gotten so bad with the state. But now we're going to have we're going to see the Penobscot and the Passamaquoddy chiefs, as well as the chiefs from the Maliseet and the Mi'kmaq communities. They'll be participating in the State of the Tribes address. So that's significant. But at the same time, we saw this week that that the tensions or the disagreements between the tribes and, and uh, Governor Janet Mills' administration, they're, they're still around, you know, despite what both sides say is, is pretty solid progress on some other issues. This particular dispute centered around a proposed constitutional amendment to resume printing a section of Maine's constitution that refers back to the state's obligations to honor treaties with the tribes back when Maine separated from Massachusetts in uh, 1820. That section of the Constitution remains in effect, but for reasons that really aren't clear based on the historical record, they were expunged from the printed editions of the Constitution. This proposal would resume printing those sections. It was strongly supported by the tribes and Attorney General Aaron Fry and Secretary of State Shannon Bellows, but the Mills administration came out very strongly in opposition. They called it, quote, a misguided attempt to right historic wrong that never occurred. Uh, namely, that's it's this contention that the section was admitted to somehow evade or obfuscate Maine's treaty obligations. And Governor Mills' chief legal counsel said restoring that language would, quote, perpetuate that baseless theory. So, you know, it, it's pretty clear that Governor Mills is out of step with the tribes, but as well as with her Democratic leadership on this point. The COVID pandemic has not gone away. Uh, Maine has seen an uptick in hospitalizations in recent weeks and a debate over the pandemic's origin heated up again this week. Steve Missler, Maine's Susan Collins featured prominently in this debate. Yeah, and I think she was featured, Erwin, in the national news coverage because she was an example of Republicans embracing this theory that COVID-19 was leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. Now, discussions around the so-called lab leak theory have intensified recently because there's a division among U.S. intelligence agencies about the origins of COVID. The FBI, for example, believes with quote-unquote moderate confidence that COVID came from a lab. The Energy Department recently changed its assessment to align with that view, although it was based on different factors. But four other agencies are aligning with the other theory that COVID was spread 
naturally from animals to humans via a market in Wuhan. And Senator Collins appeared quite skeptical of the latter view when she questioned uh, Avril Haines, the director of U.S. intelligence this week. I just don't understand why you continue to maintain on behalf of the intelligence community that these are two equally plausible explanations. They simply are not. Haynes responded by saying that one of the reasons why it's been so difficult to settle one of these two COVID origin theories is because China is is not cooperating in the investigation. That lack of cooperation appears to be one of the reasons Senator Collins is leaning toward the lab leak theory. She basically says that they wouldn't do that if they didn't have anything to hide. But Haynes is saying that there's still divisions among intelligence agencies. Now, I should note that virologists are less divided about COVID's origins. The majority of them believe that COVID was transmitted from animals to humans late in 2019. As the Ukraine war enters its second year, there are signs of weakening support for the Ukrainian struggle here in Maine. Steve, tell us how we're noticing that. Well, we're certainly seeing it among Republican state lawmakers, Erwin, whether that drop off in support is representative of the main population writ large is not quite clear. But this week, it was certainly evident during a debate over a resolution expressing support for Ukraine in the main House, and to a far lesser extent, the debate over the same resolution in the main Senate. Now, the resolution passed, but there was a stark division among Republicans. Most of them in the House opposed the resolution, which they described as a as war propaganda, all while framing Russia's invasion as a European problem and U.S. intervention as potentially provoking a military confrontation with Russia. This kind of rhetoric is pretty common in right-wing media, which has been hammering uh, U.S. support for Ukraine on a pretty regular basis for some time now, and it seems to be having an effect. I mean, last year, just two House members opposed a resolution supporting Ukraine. It's very similar to the one that was discussed and debated this week. This year, 54 members did, and all but one of them was a Republican. So what this means is a bit unclear, but it suggests waning support for U.S. aid to Ukraine. And as we learned from U.S. intelligence officials this week, Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin is counting on that diminished support. They believe that Putin doesn't mind letting the war drag on because time is on his side, especially if the U.S. decreases the shipment of military aid to Ukraine. Republicans continue to push for steps that they say will reduce the likelihood of election fraud in Maine, though there's little evidence that Maine experiences any election fraud. Kevin, what are the latest GOP proposals? The the proposal they seem to be pushing the hardest is to require voters to show a photo ID before they can cast their ballots. Uh, This has been a Republican priority for uh, well over a decade now, uh, going back even before Governor Paul LePage was pushing it in his early days in office. But it's always been defeated largely by Democrats um, because they argue this would potentially disenfranchise people who don't have a state-issued photo ID, Uh, such as senior citizens who don't drive anymore or people, and particularly minorities living in more urban areas, who don't need a car. But there are now 37 states that have some sort of voter ID law on the books. So so Maine is an outlier at this point. And Republicans, such as Augusta Senator Matt Pouliot, 
Uh, they say there's there's no reason to not implement this to cut down on potential voter fraud, particularly if the state offers up free photo IDs to anyone who needs them, which is what they're proposing. The bottom line is people need an ID to open a bank account, have a drink at a bar, buy a pack of cigarettes, to buy a cell phone service contract, to get on an airplane, to be hired at a job and work, to purchase a car, to donate blood, to buy a firearm, to buy a house, to check out a library book, and yes, even drive. So why should people not have an ID to vote? Uh, but they also have a bunch of bills related to absentee ballots that will probably get a lot of attention because this has was already a popular way to vote here in Maine, even before the pandemic. Uh, yeah, Senator Jeff Timberlake of Turner basically said that at a minimum, there should be cameras monitoring ballot uh, drop boxes 24-7 to make sure that no one is is illegally stuffing ballots. You know, that's something that we've heard over and over again, but has never actually been seen here in Maine or, or, or most other places for that matter. And lastly, Republicans say these changes are needed to restore voter confidence in our election integrity. But many Democrats and, and even some Republicans argue that President Trump and his close allies are pretty much squarely to blame for any decline in voter confidence because they're the ones that have been making these false claims about stolen elections and voter fraud for years now. And you know those claims have pretty much all been debunked and dismissed by courts across the country for lack of evidence. There does seem to be growing evidence that foreign entities should keep out of Maine's referendum battles. Steve, what's the latest on this? So as we've mentioned here on several occasions, I mean, I think I've started reporting on this four years ago. There's a loophole in Maine law that allows foreign entities to electioneer and referendum campaigns. Efforts to close that loophole have been blocked in the legislature, uh, most recently via a veto by Governor Janet Mills in 2021. That veto spawned a citizen's initiative to enact a similar ban on electioneering by foreign entities. And that initiative has qualified for the November ballot. But here's the thing. The legislature gets a chance to enact citizens' initiatives before they go to voters. They just rarely do it. I mean, the last time it happened was in 2007, and there's been something like 20 ballot initiatives since then. Every one of those has gone straight to voters. Now, there's a chance that the foreign electioneering initiative could break that streak. We reported earlier this week that the Protect Maine Elections, the group uh, spearheading the ballot campaign, is going to push the legislature to enact the proposal this session. And we're learning that they're gathering more bipartisan support certainly more than we saw when this issue was in the legislature two years ago. The question is whether that's all enough to get past a possible veto by the governor, who has not taken a position on the initiative, but she obviously opposed the legislation that spawned it. All right. Maine Public's chief political correspondent, Steve Missler, and political reporter, Kevin Miller. And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. There are other ways you can keep up with Maine politics. The newsletter, which Steve and Kevin post every Friday morning to mainepublic.org. You can also sign up there to have it emailed directly to you. Now, if you're on the go on Fridays, you can hear some of the Pulse on Maine Public Radio's All Things Considered. Our music is by Rob Holt. I'm Erwin Gratz, and we'll be back next week with another edition of Maine's Political Pulse. <laughs>